Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 18th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Well, if you're in the garden this morning or if you're trying to stay cool indoors in the shade, well, the best tip you'll get this morning is wherever you are, make sure that you have your radio with us and let us uh, keep you company this morning. What else can you say about this beautiful weather except that it really is a a treat for most of us? It, It doesn't suit everyone of course uh, and uh, a lot of people are struggling with uh, the heat if you fall into that category there's a, a number of things you can do to keep yourself cool drink plenty of liquids lots of water in particular any liquid except for coffee or tea uh, but any liquid in fact hot water uh, because it's not humid because that will make you sweat uh, or things uh, that uh, have uh, been frozen like ice pops and energy drinks and that sort of thing uh, if you Uh, can't stay out of the sun today. Try to stay out of the sun during the peak uh, between 11 and 2. Uh, You'll feel cooler if you're dressed appropriately and that will mean wearing loose clothing, breathable clothing like cotton and that sort of thing, a hat to protect your head and sunglasses uh, to protect your eyes. Wet socks might keep you cool. Uh, That's a... Uh, a thing that you may not think of or putting a wet flannel behind uh, the back of your neck or rubbing ice on your neck or wrists uh, for that matter. Uh, You might even want to have a a cool shower uh, or just have your feet in a basin of cold water or perhaps even fill the bath Uh, and don't empty it, just dip into it every now and then. Uh, If you're finding it difficult to sleep at night, because it can be very, very hard, uh, try having a a fan in your room. Draw the curtains during the day. Don't open them so that there's plenty of shade. Uh, You could also do things like refrigerate your bed sheets uh, and just have duvet covers or sheets uh, for that matter and if that's too light spray them with water so that it feels heavier like having a a duvet on you or you could put your hot water bottle in the freezer and take that to bed with you Uh, and uh, there are many different things uh, that you can do but try to stay as cool as you can and indeed if you are going outdoors today at all make sure that you've got plenty of sun cream on it's to be 32 today Uh, that's what they're expecting in most parts of Ireland Uh, it'll be 30 and the rest across Europe. Uh, it should 
uh, hit at least 40 in London and possibly go above 40 in South England today. Real record temperatures being hit right across Europe. 47 in Lisbon. Almost unbearable. It's resulting in wildfires. And indeed, it is resulting in the deaths of uh, hundreds of people as a result of heat stroke. Climate change is here. So what do we do about it or do we have any role in it? Michael Healy Ray is an independent TD for Kerry and he's on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Michael. And thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme this morning. I hope you're enjoying this fine Monday morning. Good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. And do not... When I was listening to your introduction there of this subject, I was thinking to myself, I never thought I'd leave to hear the day that a radio presenter would be telling his listeners to refrigerate your bed sheet covers before you go to bed at yeah. night. Or put, or put, put ice in your cap. <laughs> in fairness, it's, it's some advice in the morning. Yeah. But look, I suppose we are where we are. I wouldn't get too excited about this because of the simple fact that, yes, we'll have a couple of warm days. But, I mean, people obviously have to take precautions. People have to do the sensible things, whether it's people in motor cars or, or, or animals, for God's sake, not to, to leave the pet dog inside the car mm-hmm. or any things like that. Practical, sensible yeah. things. But, I mean, we don't have to lose our lives either. I mean, uh, and get awful excited about this. It's the exact same as when there's a bit of cold weather. And, you know, there's a, a tendency... By media, and I'm not being critical of the media, but to over-sensationalise every event. Mm. You can remember long ago, there was very warm summers. There was very hard winters. And, you know, there wasn't a fraction of the reporting about it and people telling people the practical things that they should know themselves in their own heads. And, uh, I don't know, we seem to over-dramatise everything that happens now. Yes, like I say, we're going through a hot smell of weather. Uh, people should enjoy it, but enjoy it safely. Okay. If they are going to the seaside, do the sensible things. Absolutely, and have an ice cream and all of that sort of thing. It is glorious weather. Uh, but should we be concerned uh, when we're seeing such record temperatures right across Europe? But, I mean, again, these things happen. And one thing that I would never like to say, I'm not a climate change denier or anything mm. like that. Yes, there are events happening. But events have happened back over the years as well. And I mean, if you go back over over the generations, hasn't there been enormous changes in our environment? Mm. I mean, there was one time that, that, that we were completely covered with ice. There was one time this country was completely covered in trees. I mean... Things happen during people's lifetimes and, and through the generations. And uh, people have to adapt and to get on. But like I say, I wouldn't be losing my life over it. Yeah. Only, you, you, again, to ask people, especially with children and older people, to watch out for each other and things like that. But uh, but there's no need to... to I, I, I actually don't think there's any need to put the, the bed clothes in the in the freezer yet. I don't think so anyway. Okay, well some people are finding it hard to sleep and uh, may find it all the harder to sleep uh, today. They're saying this could be the hottest day of the summer in this country. Now having said that uh, I think Matt Aaron don't expect it to break uh, the all-time record uh, of about 33 degrees. Uh, but records are being broken across Europe uh, and not just today. This is a heat wave that is coming on the back of a heat wave and we're seeing severe weather events. Whether it 
is these heat waves uh, which are causing all sorts of problems uh, or flooding or, or storms uh, or um, some of uh, these uh, other things with global warming and what's happening in the Arctic and that sort of thing. The warning signs uh, have been there for a long time. This is climate change at play, is it not? Well, an awful lot of people will say that and will use this for other advantages. I mean, for example, the leader of the Green Party these days now is coming out and saying that he wants the agricultural sector to sign up to a 30% reduction Mm. in emissions uh, in the next number of years, whereas the IFA are saying that 22% will be severe enough and will be actually anything more than that would be detrimental to the national herd. But what he is saying is that he wants the national herd to be reduced, and he has come out very publicly and said that. And uh, again, we're we're basically an agricultural nation in that uh, that's the backbone of our economy. And uh, while we very much appreciate our tourism and foreign foreign investment Mm. and industry, but agriculture is to the backbone of this country. A lot of people tend to forget that a lot. Yeah, but we have to reduce emissions from electricity by 81%, by 50% for transport, by 50% uh, in buildings, by 41% in industry, but just 30% in agriculture. Yet there's this resistance. Why is that the case? Why uh, is uh, the farming sector reluctant uh, to leave a habitable planet to our children and grandchildren? Because we don't want to reduce the national herd. Simple as that. We want to ensure food security. You do know that this is the same government now that has done done an awful lot in reducing the energy supply that we have in this country, who have refused to give us an LNG facility. And with the ever-increasing cost of, of oil and gas and the lack of security of supply, I mean, as it stands... The Germans right now today are saying, yes, we have to open up the the coal mines again because they realise the difficulties that they're facing. And we can't overly rely on on outside uh, providers to give us gas and oil. But here in Ireland, we seem to be saying we should use more and more electricity because we're telling people to do that, not use oil, but use electricity. And at the same time, they're doing nothing to give us a further surety of supply. In fact, the exact opposite. They've shut down Bournemouth. And we see if people, if politicians were coming along and saying, well, we want you to stop doing this because we're able to supply you with that. Well, you could make some sense out of it. But what they're doing is they're telling us use more and more electricity mm. while they give us less and less of a supply of it. And it's costing more and more. And we actually, as you know, uh, because you've seen this uh, over the last, I suppose, 24 months, we've had more times that we've been running in the red with regard to ESB supply. It's like a fuel tank in the car. We've been down on the orange and the orange light has been on mm. an awful lot, whereas that used not happen before. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and but like, is the solution fracked gas? Well, no, I do see this is a, a, a mistruth that's put out there. When I say I'm in favour of an LNG facility in, um, in, in the Tabert region in, in Kerry, I've never said oh, yes and it should be fracked gas. Nobody is saying that. What we're saying is we want an LNG facility that does not have to be using fracked gas. But, but other people try to paint us into that corner and say, oh, these people are supporting track. Yes, we're not. And there are so many other 
uses, then you can actually open up an LNG facility, which in time could be converted to other methods. I mean, hydrogen is a, mm. is a, is a thing that can be perfected in the future. In 20 but or 30 not, years, hydrogen will be the it, future, it seems. But are you opposed to frack gas? Well, I never said I was in favour of it. What I've said is... But that I'm, I'm asking you if you are opposed yes, to it because no, you want an LNG that, facility. Well, Yes, what I'm in favour of is an LNG facility, but that doesn't mean to say it has to use frack gas. Nobody mm. has said that. And I mean, but talk that, about doing... That, 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 the question remains the same, Michael Healy. Ray, are you opposed to frack gas? But sure, of course I said that we don't have to use frack gas. I know, but I are you opposed to it? Would you, uh, I, If that facility was given permission, uh, would uh, you, you be you in favour of it being on the basis that yes. it would never use frack gas? No, you can operate an LNG facility without using frack gas. And you must remember that the government signed up to, in the programme for government in 2016, they said they were in favour of it. Mm. It was part of the programme for government. I ensured at the time that it was included in the programme for government. And I was very glad that they went along with that. So it was one of their aims and aspirations that they should have it. But when the Greens jumped into bed with them then in 2020, one of the insistence that the Greens had was that that would have to go off the agenda. So all of a sudden, it was not just in, not included in the programme for government, but they came out and specifically said they were opposed to it. And you, you do realise that all of the local politicians, be they deputies or be they uh, councillors, they've come out and said they say they want an LNG facility. Mm. But unfortunately, the leadership of their parties are saying okay. no, because fr- fr- they're in bed with or otherwise, uh, uh, and uh, you're not saying uh, that you would uh, hope that if permission was given to that facility that it would never use frack gas, but fractor otherwise, uh, ga- gas is on its way out. Uh, the European Union recently uh, defined uh, gas and nuclear as green energy. Uh, do you support nuclear energy? I, what I would have to say about a thing like that is that everybody is saying that everything is out, but they're not saying what is in. We need energy wherever it comes from, whether it is gas, whether mm. it is oil, whether it is turf-powered uh, stations. We need energy. Yes, we but, need heat. but we have we to stop emissions, heat. and that's why we're going to put uh, turbines out in the sea and that sort of thing, and that's why we're going to reduce the and national herd, uh, because if we don't reduce the national herd, we're going to have the uh, current rate of emissions because agriculture is one of uh, the biggest problems in terms of Ireland's uh, emissions, and what's the point in having cows to feed people if cities are falling into the sea? What's the point in not being able to feed the people? And I mean, again, we have to get back to basics. An awful lot of what's happening in this world at present, in this country and in the world, we're looking to 50 and to 100 years ahead, which of course is important. But you can't forget that next Friday, people, the, the people have to balance their budgets in their houses. They have to have heat. I'm very, very worried about the people this winter, older people, disabled people, young couples, who will be sending their children to school, who will need to heat their homes and pay their ESB. I live in the real world of today. I'm worried about those people. While the overnight can be Hal Martin, might be, might be worried about the budgets of people in a mm. hundred years' time. I'm worried about now. I'm worried about the people trying to live, trying to go to work, trying to educate their children. And again, older people trying to heat themselves at home. And why should we be coming along and telling people who perhaps have always had a turf range or a turf fire 
and telling those people, well, it's going to be illegal for you to go to a forecourt and buy your turf and your supply of fuel without giving them an alternative. This is the point. If you were saying there is an alternative, but telling them to turn on the electric bar heater when their ESB is already nearly gone beyond paying because it's gone up so many times. As you know, ESB mm, well, charges have they, more than they, doubled. They, they can use smokeless coal if uh, they don't have uh, access uh, to turf, and many people will have, obviously. Uh, but uh, I, I think the uh, best thing we can say at this stage is keep the ice under the cap today, Michael, and thank you indeed. Well, and and, and <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, for the rest of this day, any time I'll yeah. have a minute in my head, I'll have a thought of you telling people <laughs> to refrigerate their bedclothes this evening. Well, that is something new for I, me. Anyway. I, I tell you, when you think about it, think about the people who are listening this morning who will actually do it. <laughs> I, I, I know you're an amazing man. I always enjoy you very, very much. Thank you very much indeed for joining bye, us bye, as bye. always. That's Michael bye, Healy bye. Ray, Independent TD for Kerry. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the doll was told, told last week uh, that businesses are facing into a frightening time um, because there's so many pressures. We're all aware of uh, the increase in uh, the cost of energy, but it's not just the electricity costs that have escalated. And independent TD Marion Harkin was saying that with that, there are additional costs the costs of packaging and wages, and that there's a problem with working capital. Most of that has already uh, been used uh, and any contingency that businesses had in place is being eaten up because of the pressures on them. I as Minister for Enterprise and the Government understand that businesses have endured some really difficult years. Um, Brexit, the restrictions related to the pandemic and now of course uh, inflation particularly when it comes to energy costs. Um, And I think it's fair to say that this government hasn't been found wanting when it's come to helping businesses get through difficult periods, whether it was the wage subsidy scheme to help uh, businesses to keep their staff on, whether it was the uh, CRSS helping with overheads, um, the new SCARP arrangement that allows businesses to restructure uh, if they become emburdened by debts and survive, um, the reduction in VAT, for example, uh, for the hospitality sector. Um, And while a lot of businesses are struggling, I think it is fair to point out that most are doing well. And that is evidenced by the fact that there's two and a half million people at work in Ireland now, um, more than two thirds of whom work for small businesses uh, in the SME sector. We see the tax receipts coming in uh, from VAT and company profits, and there have been very few insolvencies uh, in the last um, year or two, uh, although I do think that uh, is likely to rise. Um, And while every business is different, uh, and some have very high energy bills, the average business spends between five or 10%. Uh, of their uh, outgoings uh, in energy costs. Um, We are working on some schemes that may be helpful for business. Uh, I don't want to raise expectations too high. We're not going to be able to step in and pay the electricity bills or the gas bills of um, every business across the country or even many businesses across the country. But under the EU temporary state aid aid framework, um, we have submitted proposals for a Ukraine crisis or inflation crisis-related loan scheme for business which would be similar to what's in place for Brexit and COVID at the moment, uh, and also um, potentially a a grant scheme for businesses uh, that face viability issues as a consequence of energy prices. But that would be restricted under the terms uh, of state aid to those that are in manufacturing and exporting. Uh, and would not apply to retail. Okay, that's the tarnished Leo Radker speaking in uh, the doll last week. Uh, let's talk about some of uh, those challenges uh, that business 
is facing at the moment. Neil Macdonald is uh, the chief executive of ISME. That's the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Good morning to you, Neil, and thank you indeed uh, for joining it on the programme, uh, joining us on the programme this morning. I, I think both uh, of the TD speaking in the Dáil last week highlighted many of the challenges you face. Uh, are, are they um, insurmountable or will business get through this? Well, I, I, I think, uh, Michael, you, you heard, um, you know, in the Tonish, this piece there, he recognised that this wasn't a, a sort of a, a single crisis. Um, you know, we've had two years of pandemic uh, in 2020 and 2021, but a lot of people have forgotten that 2019 was, was a very rough year for a lot of businesses because that was the point at which we were going through whether we were going to have a, a hard Brexit. Uh, and we got to the end of the year and we thought that our troubles were behind us when when we came to a, a trade agreement, a trade continuity agreement with, with the UK. Um, and then we went straight into pandemic. And now the basis of that TCA has been challenged by the, the UK government. And all of these things were before uh, a significant round of inflation um, came, uh, arose. So, so to answer the question whether businesses can survive it, um, unfortunately not all businesses can, but we hope that the, the great majority of, of them can. But their ability uh, to to trade profitably is under a great deal of stress at the moment for, for all the reasons we've just gone into. Okay, uh, and uh, to survive it, uh, you've uh, got to be viable. Uh, as things stand with the price of everything going up, uh, 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 does that mean that business was, will have to follow uh, and uh, to recoup what they're paying out uh, have to put their prices up as well? Well, well, that's the issue and, and small and medium enterprises are, are the bit that make up the domestic economy so when you pick up the papers and you hear about all these huge surges in GDP and foreign mm. export sales and all that they, they tend to be uh, foreign multinationals are, are the few large multina- Irish multinationals that there are but SMEs tend to be the retailers, the coffee shops, the hairdressers, and their ability to pass... Well, first of all, if they do pass on price increases to their customers, that is inflationary in and of itself. Mm. That's putting up prices for you and me. But in a lot of cases, they're not able to do that because the market won't bear it and their customers will say, no, I'm not going to pay that to you. So so they're caught in a, in a vice where by their inbound costs are going up and their ability to recoup those from their market is constrained or non-existent. So in those cases, their profitability is reduced or eliminated. Yeah, and uh, you're into that uh, concerning situation of chasing inflation. You put prices up, prices go up further because uh, that puts pressure on somewhere else. Uh, the Thonish was talking uh, about some assistance, government assistance for manufacturing and exporting and that it wouldn't be possible to give that type of assistance to retail because of uh, the rules on state aid. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the, the rules are, are the way they are structured. But I, I would say, you know, as I... I've probably recall saying to you during the mm-hmm. pandemic, uh, Michael, that um, loans uh, to, to businesses that are, that are challenged are, are, are not really attractive either to the businesses themselves or to the lenders. So um, the, the preferred assistance in these cases tends to be grants. Um, but 
a, a huge amount of the, of the business that SMEs do is retail business or B two B small business to business services. So, so these supports may be available to relatively few. Okay, energy is uh, the big worry, isn't it? Uh, I, I think everybody's playing down the idea of uh, there being power cuts uh, this winter, but it is a possibility, uh, and it speaks for itself in terms of what to expect. Prices are are going to soar. They're through the roof already, but it seems as though that it's going to get a lot more expensive to buy energy. Yes, it does. And obviously, you know, there are two parts to the energy crisis. We're talking about a a yellow temperature warning today and people go, well, well, that's okay." But a, a lot of especially retail and consumer outlets uh, would have air conditioning and, and so they have quite a significant electricity demand and unfortunately we also see departures from from the energy providers market at the moment and that's before as you say the possibility of a cold winter with rationed uh, gas demand so all, all of these things um, feed a, a kind of a, a below the line or a soft metric which is consumer sentiment so when there's successive pieces of bad news on the radio or in the newspapers, people tend to hunker down and to not spend. And mm. that's part of the problem in and of itself. You get reduced domestic demand and all of that feeds on itself to produce what we're all afraid to mention, the R word of recession. But at the moment, unfortunately, a lot of the conditions uh, in, including uh, rising interest yeah. rates, uh, look at pushing us towards, at, at the very least, a very significant downturn in demand. Yeah, if not a, a pan-European recession. Uh, and uh, already people are finding it hard to make ends meet. Uh, there's advice to people to go to the community welfare officer, and that includes working people. Uh, and undoubtedly, they're looking for pay increases. That's a, a, another demand on your members. Yes, it is, uh, and the w- within SMEs and depending on the type of small business you're talking about, but businesses that are heavily dependent on uh, the, their labour input are things like grooming services, security, retail. So when they face uh, significant wage demands, and businesses understand it's perfectly natural for people in these situations to be looking for wage increases, but if the business is already running on a on a single digit uh, uh, profit percentage, you know that can be wiped out or eliminated by even a relatively small wage increase. So, so a lot of these businesses are are quite marginal at the moment. They're on the edge and they're doing their best to survive even before they get a, a request for a wage increase. Yeah, and it's in everybody's interest uh, for Irish business uh, to survive. And uh, maybe that's uh, how it concludes uh, this morning that uh, people think about that and shop our shop local. That, indeed, Michael. That, you know, uh, I, I'd like to think that one of the things we can do with a with a uh, you know a bright, hopefully a bright, reasonably warm summer ahead is that people can continue to, to within the best of their ability, conscious that prices are rising, continue to shop local, buy local, and use local services. Okay, we'll leave there. Thank you, as always, for joining us this morning, Neil Macdonald, Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Pre- Enterprises Association. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM.
Now, I hope Michelle in uh, Drogheda is listening to us uh, this morning because Michelle was in touch with us uh, about uh, the state using Gormanston Army Camp uh, to accommodate refugees uh, from Ukraine. Uh, that was scheduled to happen today. Uh, it seems as though it won't be happening until tomorrow at the earliest. But Michelle was in touch with us because she was concerned uh, about this and she says she walks or runs the beach every day and there's shooting practice and flyovers as well as uh, soldiers in uniform, which could be frightening uh, to people coming from a, a war zone uh, to be housed there. We made contact with uh, the Defence Forces. They say they're conscious of this matter and have taken measures to suspend range practices and training in the Gormanston area once beneficiaries of temporary protection enter the camp. Regarding overflights, there are no specific plans for operations in the Gormanston area at this time. The operational running of the Emergency Accommodation Reception Centre is the responsibility of the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth and therefore the beneficiaries of temporary protection will not be interacting with uniformed personnel. Well, let's uh, talk uh, about uh, the situation that has led to Gormanston becoming uh, a place to house people with uh, Nick Henderson, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Refugee Council. A very good morning to you, Nick, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, there really is a, a crisis now in the weeks and months ahead in terms of finding appropriate accommodation for refugees in this country, it seems. Yeah, there, there's very much a crisis. Uh, I think it's clear to everybody and your listeners uh, that we're in really an unprecedented and very challenging situation. Uh, and the news over the last few days and confirmed today that refugees from Ukraine will be accommodated in tents for a period of, uh, the minister said, at most a week, is really of great concern to us. But I think it's also of concern to him and all of government. I don't think anybody wants to be in this situation. Mm, um, but why so are we in this situation? I think we're probably at uh, what I would hope would be our lowest point. Um, and if there are many problems, many obvious problems with accommodating people in tents, Mm. Michael, it's, you know, we, we, know. we all know that. But I suppose what we can do now is say, well, this is our, at our most difficult point and we can build forward from here. Mm. And what we need is focus on medium to long-term accommodation options for refugees from Ukraine and international protection applicants. Okay, we're talking about women and children in tents. Are, are they going to be yeah. safe? Well, I, I want the, the only um, thing that I, I think we can say, and I wouldn't even describe it as a positive about accommodating people in tents, but we know from what we've seen in, in a, double, a hotel in Dublin and also in City West that situa- situation and conditions there are really very difficult as well. And there's overcrowding. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. It was at least difficult to get access to washing facilities. Um, and there was a risk that very vulnerable people would be uh, were being lost in the system. So the only benefit, or one of the, the, the few benefits of using camp-style accommodation is that it is possible, if we do it correctly, um, that people can be given access to the appropriate resources and supports, uh, and that it is an environment where people do have, and it's 16 people to attend. That surprised me, I have to say, I didn't realise it would be that many. Yeah, I know. That, that, mm. that would be some sort of personal space. Yeah. Um, where where they would be 
but they where they will be safe and I, you know I think what you've raised at the beginning of the call there um, around the defense forces acknowledging the, the precarious and difficult situation of people fleeing a war zone being accommodated on a military base mm. uh, I think that shows some sensitivity and, and, and hope that continues I think it probably will yeah, um, yeah. but it is a, it, but, it, but uh, it, it, how do you yeah. keep women and children safe in tents uh, at night uh, the Minister for Justice spoke to us last week and said, well, look, they're, uh, they'll be on a, an army base, so uh, that should be fairly straightforward. But does that mean that they'll be under, uh, 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 under armed guard that would keep the gates locked at night? Or, or, or how does that work? Uh, because, I mean, you can't have it that anybody can be walking in and out, and you can't have a situation either that uh, people uh, who are here uh, f- f- and welcomed by the state uh, aren't allowed to have visitors. Well, exactly, and it, 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 there is actually an obligation on, for for people in the asylum process that they, in direct provision centres, say that they can receive visitors. Um, and the the conditions for temporary protection in Ireland are are, uh, are greater and uh, than for international protection applicants. So exactly, so the, the use of this type of accommodation will bring with it very difficult. Uh, as you've just said, very difficult mm. moments and challenges and scenarios that I don't think anybody has yet thought through. Mm. Um, and, 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 and why not? Only- I mean, it's five months of, yeah. since the invasion uh, of Ukraine. Uh, we were told then that 40,000 people would come by Easter and to anticipate up to 200,000 people. Here we are, we're being told now, uh, well, we didn't expect 40,000 people, which seems peculiar given that we were told to expect them a few months ago. We're told that we've managed to find accommodation for 2,000 people, which means uh, that there's 38,000 people who didn't get accommodated and had 200,000 people arrived, 198,000 people wouldn't have got accommodation. Yeah, yeah. So I think there, and we've, we've, I've spoken to you before about this, Michael, that we have recommended a range of accommodation options, long to, medium to long-term accommodation options for refugees from Ukraine, particularly a focus on unused and vacant accommodation and, and other things. Not one of those solutions will fix this problem. We recognize that entirely. But if you'd set off a range of approaches and recommendations in in April or in May, we may be in a slightly better situation than um than we are now. Mm. I, I'd say a considerably better situation than we are now. Right. I think looking back on it, there was a problem at the beginning where too much emphasis was put, put on hosted mm. accommodation by members of the public. That hasn't, uh, for various reasons, and I think it still could provide a large amount of accommodation if done well, but it hasn't provided enough accommodation. And so now, and, and then possibly, I think other government departments, not the Department of Children, I think I know that they've been working extremely hard to accommodate more than what I think is more than, if you include protection applicants, it must be more than 45,000 people. Mm. Um, so they're doing a huge amount of work. Um, but other government departments probably took their eye off the ball on this in, uh, in May and June. Uh, and w- we have this scenario, which unfortunately, in hindsight, is a wonderful thing. It, many, including ourselves, and including the government's own analysis, I think they procured some analysis from EY, the auditing firm and a consultancy firm. They they had they knew that this was going to happen. Um, so that's that's where the disappointment lies. But I, I, I don't think anybody wants us to be in this situation. Um, and what's crucial now is that, and we know this from our experience of direct provision, is that short-term solutions become long-term uh, mm. 
problems ultimately. And once we start using, as, as you've just raised, once we start using tented style accommodation, which brings with it a whole range of of additional challenges, how do we gradually extract or quickly extract ourselves from using that sort of accommodation? That will be the crucial uh, crucial point. If we're talking about this in one month or two months' time, then I think we have a problem. Mm. A, bigger, a bigger problem than well, we have now. I, I think we've been talking a, a lot of nonsense in the last few days uh, because uh, I think we've heard government representatives say, well, we didn't know as many people would come. Uh, we didn't think they'd stay as long. We thought the war would be over and uh, they'd have gone back home by now. Uh, all of which is, is utter nonsense. Uh, and uh, people aren't goldfish. People remember, we were told, to expect people to come here to stay for up to three years and possibly longer because this war is not going to end anytime soon. And if it does, uh, people won't have homes to go to. Home to. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah no, and I think it's worth rem- also remembering that why we are doing this, mm. which is that there is an ongoing uh, war in Ukraine. And over the last two weeks, I think there's been at least two or three indiscriminate attacks by the Russian military on Ukrainian civilians. One uh, missile from a submarine in the Black Sea, according to Ukrainian intelligence, fired from a submarine, and it it killed more than 20 civilians. And uh, the body of a four-year-old girl found in the rubble, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so this is why we are doing this. Um, And uh, we're we're still in a war situation. It's still an emergency situation. And there's going to be very difficult moments now. We're we're experiencing this and on into the future. But and so I think that that needs to be we need to continually remind ourselves of of this. I think the T-shirt visiting uh, Kiev two weeks ago was important. But I do think there is a need and we've recommended this to government maybe a plan for our response, Ireland's response to Ukraine um, uh, to, to be published so that the Irish people know why we are doing this, um, what it will involve, what um, policy changes that they, they will see, any changes to, to ours, how uh, we do things. I don't think there will be that many, but so people have a clear uh, picture of what the coming year uh, or, or, or 18 months will look like. Indeed. Nick, thanks uh, for joining us uh, as always. Uh, that's uh, Nick Henderson, who's uh, the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council. Michael Reed on LMFM. Declan in Drogheda has been on the phone to us. Declan says he doesn't often agree with Michael Healy Ray, but Michael Healy Ray, he says, was right when he was speaking on the programme this morning. The big drama that is being made out of a couple of days of good weather is ridiculous. Do they not think people have any common sense anymore that they know? If it's that hot, then stay indoors. My God, he says, it's just ridiculous. The amount of warnings that we're getting. If you're too warm at night, kick the covers off uh, and keep them off altogether uh, if that solves uh, the problem. Uh, Thanks uh, for that. Thanks too to Paddy in Kells, who says, if you look back on history, we've always had hot weather spells, even going even going back to 1867. There was very hot weather and where was climate change then? Uh, Paddy says, Michael, you should be neutral, but instead you seem to have bought into this crap. The Greens are going to destroy our food industry and leave our old people freezing with the cold. Thanks, uh, Paddy, for that. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what I, I bought into. Uh, I think climate change 
is a, a fact. Uh, whether the good weather uh, and the very extreme temperatures that are being experienced across Europe and record temperatures are, are because of climate change uh, is uh, the topic for discussion. But I think uh, there's very little doubt that that is the case. Although Paddy, uh, somewhat cynical, Margaret uh, has obviously uh, been... Uh, thinking along the same lines as Paddy because she says Met Aaron has said the previous record temperature of 33.3 Celsius was set in Kilkenny in 1887 uh, and that that could be broken with this hot spell. So what I would like to know, she says, is what caused the temperature to rise as high as that 135 years ago when there was very little, if any, of uh, the vehicles on the roads that we have today or planes in the sky, cattle, etc. And all of the things that are being blamed for climate change. Now, has anyone got the answer to that, she says. Uh, Somebody else then says, Michael, I respect you saying shop local, but that only benefits the seller, not the buyer. I live in a small village and I was stuck for bread and milk yesterday morning. I paid 7.29 for a sliced pan of milk. How on earth could you justify buying local at those prices? Everyone's looking for a bargain nowadays. Shop local and get fleeced. That's uh, from Mall. Thanks, Mall. Uh, I suppose uh, the argument is if you shop local, uh, I hope you wouldn't be paying those prices, but if you shop local, you'll keep someone in your locality in a a job. They'll have money to shop local and keep somebody else in a a job. And that hopefully will keep the whole thing going around. But uh, let's talk about something completely different, uh, because as you may have heard last week, uh, over 900 children were treated in hospital for drug and alcohol related illnesses last year. This is... Uh, stats that have come under Freedom of Information legislation to News Talk Radio. We're joined by Una McKinney, who's the Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. And a very good morning to you, Una, and thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, we're talking about a, a lot of people in hospital consuming a substance that, uh, in most cases, they're not legally entitled to consume. Yeah, it would seem that the figures are pretty startling, all right. Um, I think they are, to be fair, I think they are both uh, illicit drugs and alcohol, so it's hard to determine exactly uh, what the breakdown might be. But I suppose I would look at it and say that, you know, of a quarter of the people who are who are presenting into our hospitals, our hospital admissions, because of drug and alcohol uh, conditions, a quarter of them are children. And I think that's the thing we need to focus on. You know, as you said, I think 1,100 kids went in last year uh, and that was a 15% rise on the year before. And I think, you know, people will say, well, these kids are pro- in the context of alcohol are just going in because of, you know, they have probably become intoxicated or some degree of alcohol poison because they may have had an episode with alcohol. But there are other things that people need to remember as well. And, you know, we have a high level of self-harming, for example, in, in children who are suffering from anxiety. A lot alcohol plays a very big feature uh, in that context as well. Um, there's also support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Obviously, when children are under the influence of alcohol, they do run into accidents. So they're, you know, they're ending up with breakages. They're ending up with some significant head injuries. And so it's not just yeah. a simple case of a parody around just been a child or a young lad been drunk or a young girl been drunk. It, it sometimes can be much more significant, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's what people need to reflect on. Uh, and, and the numbers are, are quite huge. And, and in fairness. In terms of alcohol, it is worth saying to people, you know, we have made some pretty good progress over the last couple of decades in relation to reducing the level of young people who are drinking. But it's still remarkably high in Ireland. You know, we have, you know, we talk about yeah. it in our work every day, 50,000 kids every year joining the queue uh, to give their money to the alcohol producers. And I think that's a really, really tragic situation that we can really do something about if we want to. How do you mean 50,000? 50,000 young people who will have a a drink, that's minors under the age of 18, who will have a a drink this year or who are drinking regularly? Drinking regularly. The data would would point that in the context of 15-year-olds that about 40% of 15-year-olds are drinking at least once a month in this country. Right. Um, and like that's, again, people will say, oh, well, look, it's only this or it's only a little bit of that. But the problem is those 15-year-olds' bodies haven't even begun to really develop. Their, mm. their brains are like sponges and, and yeah. alcohol into those young lives is really problematic. And, of course, the other point about starting alcohol too young is that they go on to become heavy drinkers in mm. later life, and in adult life. And we know that, again, because in Ireland, a third of people who are between the ages of 18 and 24 in this country are simply drinking too much. Mm. You know, they are showing prevalence of alcohol use disorder. And in fact, in the news talk or the, the, the information, the Freedom of Information report that came out, um, 
the highest number again of, of adults is that age group between 18 and 24 year olds that are presenting to hospitals mm. as well. Was that, we a, a, you know, yeah. was that always the case? I mean, you know, um, young people are, are always going to be curious, there's always going to be experimentation, sure. uh, there always has been, there always will be. Yeah. But, where, but, but, but were so many young people drinking so frequently in the past? Oh, there were, uh, that, and that was my point. I mean, I think what, what you can, the data will show that Back in, uh, we'll say, like in the mid-90s or into the just at the turn of the century, yeah. you, we would have had probably 70% of our, of our up to 70% of our children would have experienced some degree of alcohol. Yeah. And that has come down into the 60s now. So I think off the top of my head, I think it's around 65%. Okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. there is a reduction. Yeah. And obviously the other thing that has changed somewhat where we've made some improvement is that initiation age which at the medium age at the moment is around 15 and a half, 16. Mm. That has moved up, you know. That, that, yeah, that two yeah, decades, yeah, yeah, but that was yeah, much yeah, earlier. Yeah. I'm, ju- I'm, just, I'm, just like, I'm, I'm just actually thinking children are, are, are slower to grow up in a, a lot of ways, quicker in many ways. But slow, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, true. there's a lot of people listening to us this morning who'll say, I left school at 12 or, or, or 16, yeah. uh, and that, mm. that would be rare now. Uh, there was a, a, another study this uh, week, uh, Yuna, I'm sure you've been watching that with great interest as well, from the Global Bird of diseases and that says that alcohol is never good ever for people under yeah. the age of 40. Yeah, again, that's a fairly stark headline um, and, and I suppose it goes back to a broader sort of discussion around public health and that is that, you know, if you're, if you're endeavouring to try and improve what is, you know, a broader agenda around non-communicable diseases, alcohol like tobacco is playing a major a major factor in some of those developing diseases, and so from public health perspective and people who are trying to prevent uh, disease across the whole of the population, they would look upon alcohol as as a as a as a difficulty and would say to people, listen, if you're trying to protect your health, then really alcohol isn't 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 the best way forward. Mm. Um, and so I suppose that's a, and it's it's like the argument that you know we will we will have probably in the autumn again in Ireland that is in relation to alcohol labelling. Mm. Um, and you know we've passed laws in, in 2018 that says every alcohol product must state on the back of it or on the product that there's a direct link between alcohol and cancer. Mm. And and again that's that's because simply. Well, we know in Ireland there's over a thousand alcohol-related cancers diagnosed every year, um, but more widely across the world, it, 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 it is part of that wider discussion that says if you want to prevent cancer, you shouldn't really be taken up. And did you ever hear uh, talk of holding off uh, from drinking until you're 40? Uh, interesting, this study, by the way, says that 59% of those who drink harmful amounts are aged between 15 and 39. That's uh, more or less what you were saying a few yeah. moments ago. Uh, but they're saying yeah. that if you're over 40, uh, alcohol is not as harmful to you as it is to somebody who's under 40. Yeah, well, again, if you think about the context of what you do in a lifetime, so we're just, we've just been talking about over a thousand children presenting to Irish hospitals in relation to alcohol. Mm. So those children are 14, 15, 16, whatever age they are. Now, if they continue to take that lifestyle on into their area, as we do, as we know, the data shows that by the time those children are in their early adulthood, nearly 95% of them are drinking regularly and frequently. Mm. So you're, you're consistently doing damage to yourself uh, from a health perspective yeah. 
throughout your early life and up into your 40s. Yeah, However, if you, if you were to start drinking when you were in your 40s, obviously you're, it's a completely different context in so much as you have a really settled body. You know, it's a different con- yeah. you know, It's not a developing body, whereas well, in young people it well, is. And so alcohol is doing that damage as you go through your life. Yeah, you, you go when you're 40. You, 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 get into, you get into your 40s uh, and uh, you're going into what they call Sniper's Alley uh, because uh, apparently well, there's a, a greater risk of you dying uh, <laughs> from natural causes in your 40s and 50s than at any other age. Welcome to Sniper Alley indeed. But this study actually says you, you, you could do yourself some benefit uh, if you don't have a, an underlying health condition and you have a, a limited alcohol consumption such as a small glass of red wine a, a day that, oh. that 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 could reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease stroke and diabetes oh. Oh. yeah and that's that there is a there is a debate going on in the academic world around that for example i think about well probably only about two or three months ago the world heart foundation uh, produce uh, its own study and its own academic research on this. And I mean, the World Health Foundation is a very highly respected global organization in relation to heart care. And they said there was no safe limit in relation to alcohol. So there's a bit of a there's a bit of a, a bit of a debate about the context of of what can be some uh, influence on on cardiovascular uh, conditions. So it's, I, I don't have the answers to that, but mm-hmm. it just give you that as the other perspective on it. You okay, know? sure, it's interesting nonetheless, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be looked at many times over mm, for that matter. Sure, Beauty. yeah, yeah. We'll leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you, as always, for joining. Thank you. That's uh, Una McKinney, Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. I can imagine there were a few double takes uh, with people in news agents this morning looking at the front page of the Irish Independent, seeing the headline, Pornography to be Studied in Class Under Junior Cert Revamp. Uh, it's not uh, as bad as it sounds. Uh, in fact, uh, it, it's a draft proposal at this stage, which uh, the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment will be publishing later today. And it involves new material on a range of issues, inclu- including consent, safe use of the Internet, pornography, as mentioned in the headline, gender identity, sexual orientation, healthy and positive relations and addiction issues. Let's speak to Nolene Blackwell, who's uh, the CEO of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And uh, a very good morning to you, Nolene, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. think uh, people could have got the wrong impression from the headline, but I, I think the objective of this is uh, to teach people about the dangers of pornography as well as education on these other issues that are mentioned in this. Yeah, so indeed you're quite right about that headline. It shows how you can make a catchy headline. If you read down, it is clear that that what is intended in, in this draft consultation document is something quite different. So the state of play, Michael, in this was that in about 2018, the the Curriculum Council, the Curriculum Advisory Council, which is a national council looking at curriculum right across the way, looked at how um, RSE, how uh, how relationship and, and sexual education was taught in schools, recognised that indeed, as I heard Minister Foley say this morning, uh, that it has not changed for over 20 years. Something that in fact the then Minister for Education, Richard Bruton, had said at the time, he said, the last change in 
our curriculum was in 1999. That was before the invention of the smartphone and the internet was barely used at all along the way. So times have changed so much and changed for our young people. And now the phone and what they get on the internet and what they see and hear is totally or or is very heavily influenced by, by what they see and hear through their phones. And the reality is that they are are getting a lot of information that they can't filter, that they don't know about, that they don't understand what's real, they don't understand what's abusive even. And so what we are doing at the moment in, in our current education system, we are failing our children and young people, particularly at that age of pre-teens and teens, that junior cycle people, where they are coming under the influence of so many sources, so much information, including disinformation, mm. that it is not right that we don't allow for our education system to ensure that they get the emotional guidance that they need in order to deal with the world they live in. So what's happening now is from that 2019 report of the National Council for Curriculum Assessment, which sat there and sat there, and Michael, you and I have spoken before about the fact that there wasn't any movement from education. We're now seeing a draft consultation announced by the Minister and Department of Education today going out for consultation over the next three months, listening to schools, listening to people like us who are seeing the harm that is done to young people through the lack of education, listening to parents, and and over these three months, trying to gather views on the proposal that children be given the tools and the skills that they need in order to live a healthy um, and much more um, knowledgeable uh, way in relation to the world they're living in today. This would have been unthinkable in Holy Catholic Ireland, if I can put it that way, Nolene, um, 20, 30, certainly 40 years ago, uh, the idea of mentioning pornography, let alone having uh, some education on pornography as part of uh, the curriculum yeah. because of the resistance from parents. Parents would have said, I don't want my young daughter or, or, or son uh, being taught about things yeah. like this. I, I want to lock them away from the rest of the world. But, yeah. but we're learning today that young people are, are watching this stuff regardless uh, and that at times it can actually lead young people uh, to uh, abusive behaviour uh, and to try and mimic what they're seeing uh, in, in these videos uh, and yeah. so on. Are, are parents aware of that these days or, or will there be that old-fashioned type of resistance, do you think? Well, I, well, you know, even in previous times, there was a great understanding in Ireland of respect. And what we're not doing now is giving our children and young people a chance to understand respect today. I would say, in answer to your question, parents that we're meeting are worried sick. They are. They, they themselves were not taught in school. They themselves often don't have the language. They know how much their children are influenced by their peers, by their colleagues, by the kids they look up to in school, the cool kids, all of that. And they know that those that their children are seeing and hearing things that they're not talking about to them, that they don't have a structure for talking about it to them, and that they are... 
they are they are desperately worried that their children will suffer abuse or that their children will abuse because often that abuse will be um, through looking at abusive material, not being able to filter, not knowing what's right or what's wrong, not knowing even how to judge it. So for parents today, we, we think that a lot of the pressure for this on education must be coming from parents. They pale they, when when they when they think about what their children might do um, that would lead to them being abused or to abuse. And we see actually now we see say with young adults, adolescents and young adults, we're seeing it. Behaviour is becoming violent. People believe young people believe that they have to put up with a violent behaviour as they're developing their relationship. They believe they have to engage in violent relationships, even though they may not want them, simply because this is what they're seeing as the norm. So this is not going to do... So So it seems to me that, that the consultation period is essential because actually... People need to read these documents. Mm. They need to think about them in parents' groups and in schools. They need to be able to assure themselves that that this is actually something their children are entitled to in an age where a lot of the information that's coming at them is downright rotten. Mm. It's harmful. It's dangerous. And they're entitled to a better uh, system in place. We are very far behind in our education system in understanding this. And therefore, we are putting our children at risk in, in currently in their emotional development, in the lack. I mean, can, you just, we do a lot of work with uh, um, youngsters at third level, young adults yeah. at third level. They come ignorant of so many emotional necessities that they need to live their lives. It's not fair to them. I do really believe it is their right to be to be given the skills and the tools they need to navigate this very tricky world they live in with so much information out there, to navigate it as best they can, to have language, to give their parents language so that discussions can take place, their siblings, to, to ensure that their younger siblings or friends friends uh, or cousins are able, are, are, are being better minded. So there are so many ways in which this is a positive. It's a positive move that the consultation is coming out. I mean, at the end of the consultation period, Michael, to be frank, we will be saying, when is it coming in? Mm. Because every month that goes by puts another group of young children and, and young people at risk, and it's not good enough. Okay. It, this is absolutely mm. urgent. Well, there's a lot to this, uh, not just pornography, uh, but uh, when you talk about pornography and you you say you'll be asking when is it going to come in uh, when is what going to come in Noli and if we're going to educate young people uh, about pornography how do you do that do you teach them that it's wrong it's wrong all the time and it'll always be wrong and that they should just never watch it or, or what do you do so it's, it's like anything else. What you do is you give people the skills they need to make their own judgments. Look, if you start telling children and young people it's wrong, what's the first thing they're going to want I to know. do? Yep. What, they, what they need to know is, is it real? What is real? What is respectful? How do I treat 
in my first relationships as a young person? How do I treat my new boyfriend or girlfriend? How do I deal with somebody who is unsure of their gender in my class? How do I deal with bullying? Like there are so many things that are associated in this new court. It is going to tie into bullying. It is going to tie into abusive behaviour in general. It is it is a way of um, linking um, respect and consent on the one hand and linking abuse and harmful behaviour on the other. It is a question of children and young people understanding that they are entitled to boundaries in relation to their own bodily integrity. So are other people entitled to those boundaries Mm. and that the person you're dealing with is equal to you, whatever their gender, whatever way they are speaking to you or dealing with you, they are entitled to respect and you are entitled to be respected by them. Imagine if we can build that for our children and young people so that they don't go through the terrible harm that some of them are suffering right now because of the lack of that education. Mm. And uh, for a large part, the reason seems to be a lack of understanding of what consent actually means and that if people understood what consent was, they'd understand when it is that they're being abusive. And, and, you know, again, going back to those things where they're getting false information Mm. to recognise it's not real. You know, it's it's not um, it's not something that is um, that's it's not what people do in real life. If if it's what you're seeing, it's what you believe. It m- might be uh, the the way they're looking at it right now. It clearly is. They are engaging. Young people are engaging in behaviour, as far as we can see, which is based on what they understand to be proper behaviour, to be loving behaviour, even when in fact it is abusive. So it will also deal with things like coercion, like um, like leading people into coercive relationships. So if this, well, actually, do you know what? I haven't even seen it all yet because mm. it's literally yeah. only being published today. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're depending mm. on um, engagements we've had with the National Council for Curriculum Assessment and also with what we're hearing from the Minister uh, and from the Department yeah. as it comes out today. Mm. But this consultation period is really important. If people have any doubts about this, if people have any good ideas about this, now is the time to be bringing them forward because we we will des- we should hopefully at the end of this, and it seems mm. that the Department of Justice is committed to designing a good program that actually is that actually educates our children and young people in areas where at the moment they are being let down badly I by can, our education system. I, I can hear you're excited uh, about the idea of it uh, and the results uh, that might come from it uh, because a lack of education has led to a a lot of the problems that result in calls to your helpline. Those problems exist uh, and you do have uh, people trained at the end of a 24-hour free phone line. If people have been suffering from abusive relationships or relationships that they're not comfortable with, or any of the other issues uh, that you've mentioned uh, this morning, uh, they can call the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre on 1-800-77-8888. That's 1-800-77-8888. Free to phone, 24 hours a day. Nolene, thank you so much as always for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michael. That's Nolene Blackwell, who's uh, the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, uh, thanks uh, to the caller who was in touch with us earlier on WhatsApp and said, uh, just a bit of hot weather. Don't be over dramatic. Uh, that uh, when I was reading out uh, some of the tips that I'd be looking at, like uh, freezing your hot water bottle or uh, indeed uh, having your feet in a cold basin of water, or maybe just have a cold bath ready to dip in and out of at times, or indeed some of the other tips we heard earlier on in the programme uh, for being able to sleep at night because uh, a lot of people are, are finding it uncomfortable. Uh, let's speak uh, to Anne Dempsey now uh, of Third Age which runs uh, the senior line. Good morning to you Anne and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. They say if you're over 65 you really need to be careful about this hot weather and to make sure that you are cool. This is it. Yeah. I'll listen to Roseanne Kenny. Do you know Professor Roseanne Kenny, Michael? Uh, no, not she's, I don't know. She's um, a gerontologist, um, does a lot of work with older people. Okay. Uh, she's attached to St. James's Hospital and she's done some very good work. Around. She was talking about older people and some of the particular difficulties that older people have. Mm. And again, she said some of this is kind of idiot proof advice and I wouldn't think older people will be doing it anyway like going mm. out in the midday sun and sitting in the sun and all of that yeah. but she talked about that a lot of older people aren't used to kind of rehydrating they're not like the young person carrying water all the time they're not used to doing that so it's really we need to do that over these days drink copious amounts of, of water because you could be and dehydrated even though you don't feel thirsty Say that, ask me you, that you, again. You, you can be dehydrated, but you don't feel thirsty. Exactly. It's an internal one. If the mm. organs, internal organs are dehydrated, so we need for general health and everything. So she's making that point. She also made the point that rather than you just mentioned cold water there, mm. I think kind of lukewarm water mm. um, is recommended in terms of refreshment and everything as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. just bring the body temperature down. Exactly, just to bring it down. Uh, obviously, wear a hat if you're out. I mean, I would think, Michael, that a lot of older people won't be going out. And mm. I shouldn't be prophesying that, but I think an awful lot of older people find the heat very, very difficult. Mm. And they will be staying indoors, and that is their best thing they can do, yeah. you know? I mean, I was out earlier having a swim very, very early, and it was, it was delightful, but I'm not going to be trudging out again that much during today, you know? So, swim um, is a great thing, of course, uh, and that's what I'm saying. Maybe you have a, a bath, uh, like dip into it and don't exactly. empty it and go back again later. Maybe because, just if you can stay in the togs or, or maybe if you want to sit out, because it can be quite nice in the shade, uh, bring a fan out with you. That is, that's it exactly. I think that there is, sh- is there any kind of a garden with trees and shade, mm. sit out in the shade. And, you know, I was just to somebody else this morning saying that we're very alarmist around all of this and I suppose understandably so and risk and everything mm. but there, it can be if you're in the shade for a little while it can be a very pleasant time you know mm. and you're, uh, you know you're not, not the whole thing at night I think is another issue people being very uncomfortable at night and I've heard people talk about put your pillows in the fridge you know yeah. <laughs> like very it's, you know very unusual things put, put, put some thing, sheets in the freezer yeah, extraordinary stuff. Mm, well, whatever yeah. works. Yeah. And the other thing is that it's not a heat wave because it's only lasting 48 hours at, at its most extreme. So just to get through these next few days sensibly mm. and well, isn't that it? That's it, uh, exactly. Uh, uh, and to make sure, as you say, to drink lots of liquids, uh, not 
coffee or, or tea though hot water probably not a, a bad idea because it's not humid uh, and uh, hot drinks will make you sweat uh, and that's yeah. your body's way of coping with the heat. Exactly all of that and I mean I think people in terms of food people naturally gravitate to salads and all that kind of thing and mm. if you again just thinking of older neighbours and that if you feel it could be difficult for them to get out or go to the shops maybe offer see how they are for fresh fruit and vegetables because there's nothing as nice these days just nice fresh produce to keep you cool and keep you light and keep it well you know yeah. people don't want heavy meals at this stage yeah and yeah well that's it if you can have a, a salad it means you don't have to turn the oven on which will keep the house that bit cooler all of as that well. everything has kind of incremental and, and interconnected roles I agree with you yeah. you know and the other thing is that most of our homes have a kind of a, a sunny side and a cooler side yeah so stay in the cool side of the house. You well, know, keep, move keep, around with the sun kind of thing. Keep the sun out. Close close um, yeah. the curtains, uh, particularly on the sunny side, uh, and yeah. keep, keep your room in the shade. Keep the windows open and the curtains closed if you can. That's it. Exactly. And obviously be security conscious as well. Um, but uh, it's at night that people are finding it uh, particularly difficult as well, I think, Anne. Very much so. And if you can kind of light cotton clothes try not to wear man-made fibre like nylon I don't think we're wearing that anymore but kind of natural fibres if you can wear just cotton and that um You'll you, again. You'll feel cooler and you'll feel better, and nothing too tight. You know, it's nice and light and easy with yourself. Mm, absolutely. Well, and enjoy it uh, because uh, it should be uh, enjoyable weather. Uh, we always get out. Enjoy it, and if you're on your own with nobody calling because we're kind of in our own homes, remember Senior Line. We're here. We're delighted to talk to you, and. Um, I know you're so good giving out our Mm. number and I'll give it out as well, Michael. It's 1800 80 And we are getting some calls around people, you know, a bit. It's more about nervous about if it's going to get desperately hot, you Mm. know, over the next few days. But Mm. so far, most people have found it fine, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, I think you'd want to be in Portugal uh, or France or Spain or London. London London is, my God, horrific. Any interior like that, you know. It gets far too hot when it gets up to 40. Um, We should be able to do the things to keep ourselves cool. Uh, enough to enjoy it at, at this temperature but if not it, you can rest assured it's only going to last a couple of days we're going to have storms I think on Tuesday and then it's going to cool down after that yeah. Uh, but yeah. as you say people are, are, are uh, able to call you anytime from 10 in the morning till 10 at night uh, about anything at all if uh, they anything want, uh, at all if they want anything advice or a chat or whatever it is one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one. 80 there'll be a cool old voice at the end of the line <laughs> <laughs> Right, Thank you indeed, as always. Thank you, Michael. Take care. 1-800-8045-91. That's the senior line number, which is run by Third Age, and that's Anne Dempsey of Third Age there. Now, thanks uh, to Pat and Carrick McCross, who was on the phone saying the war in Ukraine has been going on for five months, and it looks like it'll continue for some time yet. When it finally ends, that poor country will be annihilated altogether, and it's going to take forever to rebuild it. Pat says the government here are making plans to house these per citizens on a short-term basis when in reality we need to be catering for people's needs on a long-term basis given that it could be years before they're able to return home uh, if uh, they want to do that. It, It could take the guts of 10 years or more to get 
the Ukraine back on its feet. So the countries who helped their citizens escape the conflict need to recognise that they should be looking at the big picture when it comes to providing services for them. Thank you, uh, Pat, uh, for that. Sarah in touch, saying Michael Healy Ray was a breath of fresh air on the show this morning. She agrees with him that we are not at the stage where we need to panic as yet when it comes to climate change. Thank you, Sarah. I think there were quite a a few people who made contact with us uh, to say uh, that they were delighted to hear Michael Healy Ray. Not only did they agree with him, but that they were delighted to hear someone say what they were thinking. Uh, although it seems to be at odds uh, with uh, the scientific world. Uh, Mary says her heart goes out uh, to refugees coming here from Ukraine, fleeing their homes and their country. It must be unbearable to have to run away from everything you have and then everyone you know as well and have to begin a new life in an unfamiliar country. She says she understands people's concerns about how we're supposed to house high numbers of refugees as demonstrated by the current issues. She also understands people's frustrations or the perception by some that refugees are being treated more favourably than Irish people who are in need of housing. But she says, we just have to stop for a second and remember that the majority of people who are coming here to seek refuge are not here because they want to be. It's simply because they're trying to stay alive. Thank you, Mary, for your call to the programme as well today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Irish Times uh, reported uh, last week uh, that uh, the number of sexually transmitted diseases has risen by almost 45% to close on 8,000 SDD cases in the first six months of last year. The biggest increase has been in the number of HIV cases, 413 reported in the first six months of the year, up 132%. Uh, percent or 178 cases. Uh, let's speak uh, to Stephen O'Hare who's uh, the Chief Executive of HIV Ireland and a very good morning to you Stephen and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, should HIV not be a, a thing of the past at this stage? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, there have been huge advances uh, and good morning Michael. Okay. Yes, there have been huge advances uh, in, in the treatment of HIV and we've come a long way in the four decades since it first emerged. And indeed, this is the 40th year since the first reported cases of HIV in Ireland. And by and large, uh, people living with HIV who are on effective treatment will suppress the virus in their system to such a degree that they won't be able to pass it on um, uh, through sexual intercourse to, to other partners. And, you know, that is a, an extraordinary development. And it means that we, you know, have the, one of the tools in our in our arsenal to ensure that we can reduce the number of new new cases of HIV, but it's it can be a bit more complicated than that. Okay, it, it, it's not the worry that it, it would have been forty years ago when it was a, a death sentence. Um, uh, there's lots of advances, uh, medical advances uh, as well, uh, and people can live with HIV. Very much so. A person who is diagnosed with HIV now will will uh, be uh, will, will go on to a treatment, uh, antiretroviral uh, medication, which essentially inhibits um, the uh, the HIV virus in their system and suppresses it to, to a level where it's almost undetectable. And that is a phrase that is used in in the, in the science and in the treatment of, of HIV. A person who is living with an undetectable viral load uh, is not able to, to to pass it on. Therefore, we say undetectable equals untransmittable. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't new 
new cases and new new diagnoses of HIV. Indeed, um, in the years prior to COVID, we were seeing an increased an increase in the number of, of newly notified cases year on year, and that is something that that the government is is trying to tackle. And was the reverse of that true during lockdowns? Well, what we saw during lockdown was interesting. We, we certainly saw, you know, a, a reduction in the number of, of, of cases of HIV, but across all of the STI categories, so all the different STIs, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, etc., you were seeing a, a, a fall off in the number of newly notified cases. I'm, I say newly notified cases because the way we count STIs is that uh, when, when a physician, when a clinician becomes aware of, of a case, they are reported to uh, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, which gathered the data, and... Um, but th- those are cases of, in the case of HIV, those are cases whether they're uh, new cases of, of diagnosis or whether they are somebody who has been previously living with HIV and let's say has come to live in Ireland and is just linking in with care. So we call those newly notified cases and not necessarily new diagnoses. But in, in the years um, in, in COVID, we definitely saw a drop in the number of, of notified cases, probably because there was a lot less testing going on. A lot of community and clinic-based testing was not happening. And, and also there was lim- more limited opportunities for people to, to be together and to be in social situations. So, so mm. we know that too. And that increase of 132% is remarkable, I suppose, by anyone's standards. And I noticed in that article in the Irish Times, you were saying that that could have been as a result of people coming here from Ukraine because HIV is a significant problem there. It is, and we we know that, that that there's a higher prevalence of, of HIV in the Ukraine, and what we're seeing is a lot of a lot of displaced people coming to Ireland. Most likely, I mean, it's, there's two factors for the very large increase in, in cases of HIV. So the first is, I would say, yes, go back to that COVID question. We are seeing, you know, a return to the. Uh, roughly 500 maybe cases a year of, of HIV uh, that we were seeing prior to the pandemic and uh, notified to the H- HPSC. But because of the changing migration patterns in relation to, 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 to people coming from from Ukraine, you're also going to see people who are living with HIV, who are linked in with care in their own country, coming here and being linked in with care. And so that, that will increase the, 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 the statistics. But, it, but in either, either way, we don't want to see increasing statistics. I mean, we have tools to ensure that essentially for diagnosis we we can be for new diagnosis we can be working in the opposite direction well the best tool against HIV is condoms isn't it Uh, are people taking precautions or are people engaging in risky sexual behaviour well what I would say what I would say is that things have even moved on from from condoms and condoms are a very effective form of protection and and, and are open to anybody to use condoms to ensure that they you know that they protect themselves and partners against uh, transmission um, of any STI Uh, but I would say that, that, that with with HIV, we also have new medical advances, new drugs like PrEP. Uh, PrEP is a, it stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it's a drug that, that uh, it's a, the course of drugs that are taken uh, prior to sexual intercourse, and that will prevent somebody who is HIV negative from acquiring HIV from somebody who is perhaps HIV positive. So that's an extraordinary advance. And there's a national program for PrEP, uh, which people can can access, people in in the higher risk categories, uh, the higher categories of vulnerability to HIV. Um, Now, at the moment, that's a little oversubscribed. And what we need to do is ensure that more people have access to PrEP who need us. And our our philosophy was that anybody who wants to get on PrEP should be able to get on PrEP. There's also things like post-exposure prophylaxis. So if somebody has been exposed or thinks they've been 
exposed to HIV, there's a course of treatment that they can take uh, within a short window of time to inhibit or, or prevent uh, um, HIV taking hold in their system. So as well, with, with condoms, there are other other forms of protection that can be used, other forms of, of prophylaxis that can be used. And, th- and all of these things should be helping us to reduce the number of, of, of new cases, new diagnoses of HIV year on year. Okay, well, whether it's HIV or one of the other STDs, I, I think uh, we'd all prefer not... Uh, to develop uh, one of uh, the diseases and uh, maybe there's uh, a word of caution in that uh, for people listening to us uh, today to take precautions whichever ones uh, they choose Uh, but we leave it there for the moment Stephen thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme Stephen O'Hare is the Chief Executive of HIV Ireland Uh, thanks to Audrey in Lobenstown who's been on uh, the phone to us uh, this morning saying she'll not be putting her sheets in the freezer as uh, they're just after having a downpour of rain oh god right (laughs) that's a surprise I have to say. Uh, Mary has been texting us and she says, Michael, are you not old enough to remember the tar melting on the road? Uh, Mary, I, I, I'm so old I didn't have tar on the road. Uh, she says, do you not remember that and your mother uh, using butter to get it off your clothes and your hands and all that? Last night brought me back to my childhood, she says, in Ireland when it was warm enough to be outside at half eleven at night in short sleeves. This is what summer is supposed to be like and it was like this in my young days. Bring it on, says Mary. I think uh, Mary was probably young in 1976, was it? Uh, Paddy says, as Hamlet told Ophelia, who was sweet on him, get thee to a nunnery. Uh, has a study ever been done on one of uh, these institutions uh, this is to do with alcohol consumption by the way uh, about their health comes uh, read the pleasures of the fresh drink cigarettes etc it might be informative says Paddy Eric Cuthbert in Dundalk says Mike they should teach vegetarianism and veganism to all children and young people at school as well uh, as uh, these other issues it's the only way to stop killing innocent creatures Uh, Somebody else in touch with us uh, saying that there's too much fuss about the weather and uh, we should be just enjoying it rather than worrying about it. Uh, James uh, says, is there something wrong with Irish water that uh, they're not on about a hosepipe ban with this hot weather? Uh, Well, they did ask us uh, to... Uh, be uh, conscious uh, that there could be problems uh, and uh, to consider how much we're using uh, but they haven't put a hose pipe ban in in place yet James but that's probably because it it rained for a lot of June and there's going to be a storm I think on Tuesday evening Uh, somebody else uh, in touch with us saying uh, 7.29 for a pan and a milk uh, a slice pan, a a carton of milk not a a chance, 5 euro at the most says David in Dublin I'd have thought that, I'm not sure where our caller did the shopping, I wouldn't have been sure but thanks uh, for uh, making me feel a little bit sane uh, David much appreciated Um, we also had uh, a call to us about uh, this uh, education course. Uh, we're going to hear more about that later uh, in the day uh, when uh, the Minister will be telling uh, the plans uh, to educate young people on uh, pornography and issues like consent and gender identity. Uh, Barry was in touch and says this will be a progressive move and it is what is needed uh, when you consider some of uh, the terrible assaults that we've been hearing about in recent months and hopefully it will help young people understand how to interact with other people. Thank you indeed for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. That's our programme for today. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.